You are listening to the Better Together podcast, brought to you by the National Association of Free Will Baptists. Welcome to the Better Together podcast, where we look for ways we can work together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we have with us Dr. Neil Gillen. He graduated from Ohio State, and he received a degree in psychology from Tennessee State University, longtime employee of international missions, and before that worked as a missionary in Ivory Coast, uh, and then been the husband to Miss Sheila for 46 years. So Neil, or I should say Uncle Neil, that's what my children would say, welcome to the Better Together podcast again. Well, thank you, and and I'm probably known more by Uncle Neil. I, I, to be honest, I really don't even like it when people say Dr. Gilliland. I don't know who that is. I do know who Uncle Neil is. Well, there's a whole group of children, first in Ivory Coast, well, I guess first in the children's home in Ivory Coast, and now Truth and Peace and E-Team mm-hmm. saying Uncle Neil everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they all love the mustache, don't they? <laughs> oh yes, I, I I was on an airplane recently and and sitting beside a teenager who I had no idea who he was, and he took his earpod out and looked at me and said, "Serious mustache," and put his iPad <laughs> back in iPod or whatever you call those earbuds yeah, back yeah. in. And I go, uh, "Yeah, okay." Uncle Neil is cool with the young people. He is <laughs> rocking the mustache. Yes, I. Uh, well, I don't know if I'm cool with the young people, but I do have a mustache. Oh, you are, buddy. You are. So look, you wrote first of all a view from Greece window. Right. Kind of your follow-up book is a view from Joy's window. Mm-hmm. Why did you write this book? Well, I, just in the age or the times that we live. There is just so much negativity. Uh, so much of our lives are, if you watch the news, uh, well, I, we don't have news. We watch opinions. Yeah. And and it's all so negative. The economy's falling apart, the moral decay, you know, the government's, you know, in a mess. And But I just refuse. I absolutely refuse to let that rob me of my joy. And so many people that I see are frustrated, they're angry, and I said, they're, they're just not joyful. And I go, we have a, as followers of Christ, we have a whole lot to be joyful about. Yeah. I mean a whole lot to be joyful about. And you've interacted with a lot of followers of Christ right. all through the years. You've been very joyful. Right. Uh, you write about one in this book, one of your good friends there at uh, uh, in, in um, Ivory Coast. Right that you would not have thought would be so joyful. Yes, my my best friend in Ivory Coast, apart from our missionaries, but we worked together. We arrived in Ivory Coast almost at the same time. They came a few days later. But he grew up in the jungles of Vietnam. Uh, His parents were missionaries there. They had actually fled for their lives from the country of Tibet, or I think it was Tibet. And uh, they ended up in Vietnam where they had a ministry um, all during the war. They were there. They finally had to be evacuated during the Tet Offensive, uh, had buried some of their colleagues who had been martyred. Uh, and they came to uh, Cote d'Ivoire, or Ivory Coast, on our first Christmas. And uh, I was anxious to meet these people because I'd never met people who had lived under those kind of conditions, uh, at least none that I knew of. But uh, and so I was expecting them to be these awesome people, but also rather austere and almost untouchable. 
they were the most joyful people I've ever been around in my life. I think I wrote in the book that if you looked up life in the dictionary, you would see Dad Evans' picture. It, he was just so full of life. We laughed. I don't know if I've ever laughed that hard. We just laughed about Ray Stevens' song, The Streak came out right during that time, and he would try to quote it, and he messed it up every time, and we just laughed. But he was so joyful, but it was because of his life, hmm. uh, his relationship with Christ. Uh, I, I can't remember if I told this in the book, but if not, uh, when we first arrived in Africa, uh, we had spent our, our life uh, preparing for this moment. I could. I remember getting off the plane and feeling, smelling that first, <laughs> not so pleasant smell of African air. Uh, but we just couldn't wait, and we pulled in. After spending the night in Abidjan, we drove for four or five, about five hours, up to the city of Boaké and on into the school, and pulled in front of the place that was going to be our home. Uh, and there, as just as I stepped out of the car, there was a. Uh, interesting-looking man. Uh, he had gray shorts, a T-shirt, and high-top leather shoes on. <laughs> and he said, uh, he greeted me, told me his name. He said, I'm your next-door neighbor. And then he said, you know, Neil, there's going to be a lot of stuff here that frustrates you. Sometimes it will make you angry. He said, whatever it is, never let anything rob you of the joy you have in Christ. Oh, I good. go, what a strange greeting. <laughs> but I never forgot that. Right. And all through those years there, he was right. There were things that were frustrating. There were things that almost would make you angry at times. But I never wanted ever to let it rob me of the joy. And I've just seen so many people that their joy has been robbed. Mm. And I, I, I don't want to—one of my goals in life, I don't want to grow up and be a grumpy old mm-hmm. man. Yeah. yeah. And, it, by the way, it is one of the fruit of the Spirit. That's right. It is to be joyful. Yeah. And Paul said, as he was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, he said, I want to finish my course with joy hmm. of the ministry I've received. The Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. I want to finish with joy. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of grumpy old people. And we don't want to be that. And I'm not going to be a grumpy old no. person. If I am, I give you permission to slap me upside the head. We will get you. Yes. So that's really the mission of this book. It is. And you talk about seven reasons. Mm-hmm. One of the you've just shared one of the stories that was in the right. book, and that's kind of what you do, don't you? You tell right. a story, and there's biblical principles that go along. Some of them from your life, some of them from right. other situations. Uh, yes, the, the structure of the book is basically I give a b- biblical principle, and then I wrote a story. Either some are fictional, some are true. You can be the judge which ones are which. Uh, most of them are pretty obvious, but um, I, because that's the way I learn. Now, I know not everybody learns that. Some people need to outline and all these you know, five points or seven points to be joyful. I just don't learn that way. I learn through stories. So tell me stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, Jesus did that. He did. When he wanted to teach something very specific— he usually wrapped it up in a story. And so I just love stories. I, to be honest, I, I don't even consider myself a writer. Uh, I just write because I think it's important. Uh, somebody said, you write like you talk. I said, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, because I want it to be me. And these little books that I wrote, I, I call them books for non-readers. Uh, 
because most people are not readers. Yeah. Now, I am. I don't go anywhere that I don't have a book, and now I've got these electronic things that I can carry a whole library with me. But I read all the time. But most people don't. But you can sit down in an hour and a half and read this book. And, and if it was 300 papers, pages, you wouldn't pick up the book. No. And they're going to learn a lot about Neil. Yes. So it's, it's – Maybe too much. No. no well, I learned uh, you and Sheila, You it was a while before a baby right. came. And yes. What a story. Yeah. Uh, we, we were married um, in 1977. Uh, and uh, we wanted children for sure. Uh, we had on our first anniversary, we had eight children. We were uh, house parents at the children's home in East Tennessee. Uh, I think we celebrated at McDonald's. Uh, we took all eight kids with us. So we had helped at that time after going from the children's home in East Tennessee to Africa, where we took care of 20 high school boys who were the sons of missionaries who ministered all across the continent of Africa. Um, so we had helped fill that parental role for 75-plus kids, wow. but none of our own. Uh, until one morning, or not one morning, one afternoon, I came home from work, and Sheila was acting funny. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, nothing. But it was, it was one of those nothings that was a something. And if you're married, you know what that's like. And finally, she says, where's that little book that says which doctors we can go? I said, see, there is something wrong. And she said, well, I don't think so. And I said, no. She goes, I think so. And so I went into the living room and sat down literally for two hours and stared at a blank wall. She came in. She said, what's wrong? I said, nothing. (laughs) Uh, And nine months later, that nothing became a something, this beautiful little red fire engine redhead girl (laughs) who became the delight of my life. And so we had our own. Uh, So, yes, it was that moment when I carried her from the delivery room into the nursery was one of the most joyful moments of my life. By the way, there was another birth, an unusual birth mm-hmm. uh, of the incarnation. Mm-hmm. And if that does not bring you joy, then I can't help you. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's just stories like that, that I think there are so many things, uh, concepts in the Bible that we should find joy in, in everyday life. When I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, which of these would be Neil's favorite yeah. story? Which which of the stories is your most? Yeah, favorite? my favorite story is the story in the second. I think it's the second chapter. It's the the clown. Yeah, it's the story of Quasi, uh, who uh, wished he was a flyer. The clown who wished he was a flyer. Um, by the way, I was in a village in Africa, taking some students there to do ministry, and a, a group of children gathered around me, and they said, uh, uh, what day of the week were you born on? I go, I have no idea. They go, well, in our tribe, uh, your first name is the day of the week you were born on. So they said, well, you are uh, you're a pastor. And I said, so... We'll say you were born on Sunday. Well, the Bioli word for Sunday is quasi. So I wrote this story about myself, mm-hmm. the clown who wanted to be. And it's a story uh, about feeling like a nobody, feeling insignificant. 
uh, wishing I was like my brothers who were great athletes. They were, and by the way, they are still my heroes. I still think they are the ones who deserved everything uh, just through life. They have been incredible. Uh, but I always wanted to be like them, but I wasn't. I wasn't a great, I was a mediocre at best athlete, but they were great. And so I always grew up feeling, you know, less than. Um, I never read that story for probably 10 years after I wrote it. I wrote it during graduate school when uh, a trainer said, so I want you to write a fairy tale about yourself. So that story came from that. Mm. Uh, and so I I ended up, while I was in Africa, um, the Lord just said, I was speaking at an MK school, a missionary kid school in Senegal, and I wrestled all night. The Lord just kept saying, you need to read that story. And I go, I am not going to read. I was going to talk about the woman at the well. I think mm-hmm. one of her issues was who she was. She said, why is it that you as a Jew would ask me a Samaritan or in the NIV Neil's Incredible Version? Why is it that you, a, a somebody, would ask me a nobody for yeah. something to drink? And so I think that was part of her problem. And yeah. then what she had done. Yeah. Um, you know, when he said, go get your husband. I don't I wish we could have seen that on video. Yeah. I don't think she was real excited about that question. Uh, so Yes, that became my because it was my story and how God taught me that it's okay to be who I was mm. and to be joyful in the fact. Because He said when He knitted me together in my mother's womb, <laughs> I think in one of my Bibles I put, "You missed a stitch." <laughs> uh, but He said that we were made fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, and you know when you read about fear in the Bible, it's not that I'm terrified; it's that sense of awe. So when he was knitting me together, he went, oh, look at that. That's what I just did. And he said that about me. He said that about everybody who's listening to this, that we are wonderfully and and fearfully made. Uh, That should bring us joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just the wonder of realizing how special each and every one of us really is uh, being uniquely created. Yes. That was that. So that's how you kind of tie it together. You're, right. You're tying in John four. You're tying in the story and helping every reader realize right. I need to, to have joy about who I am. I, yes. Yes. So you mentioned your brothers. Right. Our readers will learn quite a bit about your family from right. this book. And wow. probably more than they really want to know. But, <laughs> well, no, it's, maybe more than my family wants me oh, to tell. But. Well, but it's so interesting that right. they went, especially your parents went through the Great Depression, went through World War II, right. and wow, uh, how and, and then some of the stories about Christmas. You feel comfortable sharing a bit sure. about uh, some of that? Uh, yeah, my parents were. Uh, they were. Lived very simple lives. Uh, Dad and was orphaned by the time he was seven. Both parents died of TB six months uh, from each other. So he he and his sister were separated. Went to live with two different families. Um, he moved to Slocum Station, Ohio, and stayed there for the next eighty some years. Wow. He died when he was almost ninety four, 
and he never left Slocum. Mm-hmm. Well, he did go out west and work in the forest during right during the Depression, I think, for a year. But he said, I'll never leave again. Mm-hmm. So he stayed in Slocum Station. Lit, they bought a little house. Uh, I asked him once, how much did you pay for it? He said, Neil, he said, I paid $1,000 for the house and probably two acres. It was probably less than 600 square feet, maybe less than 500. And he said, it took me a little over a year to pay it off. <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him that I played more than that every yes. month for the next 30 years. No, but, but it was the Depression. It was during the Depression. Yeah. He made $14 a week or something like that. Yeah. When they got married, they snuck across the river into Kentucky where they could get married. Uh, they snuck, hid mom in the rumble seat of a car, and they were pretty wealthy then. Mm. Uh, I think by the time they paid the preacher— and got the marriage license. They had $6 left, and they went to a high school basketball game for their honeymoon. And so we lived in this little house, but I think I said this in the book, but uh, the home is huge. And you ask any of us, we'll trade the home any day for the house. Yeah, uh, It was piled high with people. It was piled high with family, with laughter and joy. It was... It was never a sad house. It was a joyful house, even when times were tough. And they lived through the Depression, two world wars, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. My dad was really—he was too young to fight in World War One, but he was too old to fight in World War Two. But he worked at the steel mill, which they had turned into a bomb factory. Mm. And so he was part of the war effort, but just not on the field because mm-hmm. of where he fell in his terms age. of his age. Yeah, and so— they're going along. They're trying to provide for your brother. They're right. trying, trying to provide for you, and they did a pretty good job of that. Uh, they did a great job with that. We, we didn't have lots, uh, but we had enough. Yeah. And, uh, again, home was huge. Yeah, yeah. And, and we were loved, uh, cared for. Um, I wouldn't trade up for anything. Uh, you know, I, I tell in the book the story of them saving during the Depression, or right after, it's actually right after the Depression. It would probably been 1937 or so. My brother, oldest brother, who's 20 years older than me, was about four. They'd saved and saved and saved to buy a, tr- uh, a little wagon. Uh, Mom was so excited to get it to him. But their friend, Sherm, had bought him a little five-cent truck, and he said, just put it in the wagon until it's from Uncle Sherm. Well, he gets all excited on Christmas morning, and you can guess, you know, he was all excited about the little (laughs) truck and forgot about the wagon. Uh, But it's one of those stories that we've told over and over and Mm -hmm. over. Uh, Everybody, every family has stories, and I think it's important that you tell the stories. I actually think it's important that you write them down. Mm-hmm. I just happened to put some of them in a book. Yeah. Uh, but everybody, and seven reasons to be joyful is not an exhaustive list. So one of the things I always encourage people to do, even as a counselor, is to write. Yes. It may not end up in a book, but it will leave something for your family. Uh, I, I know very little about my family, especially my dad's side. I he was orphaned, so all that got lost in, uh, and they didn't keep records much. And so, um, so I write, yeah, because my grandson one day would be going through my stuff and find some story that I wrote about his goofy papa, <laughs> and he will he will remember. And so, I encourage people to write. 
So we encourage you to get a little moleskin notebook yes. or just write down, journal, and and then kind of like if you've done, you see how it applies to certain it applies, passages. Yeah, and even it's it's okay if you want to make up a story. Yeah. Uh, some of these are just stories that, and as you know, almost every fictional story has elements of truth from the writer. Yeah. And so there's one chapter on forgiveness, and a lot of that is just a a put together from what I've heard in a counselor's chair mm-hmm. of the brokenness of people and wondering if they could ever be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Well, the joy is, yes, I always say, I don't care what you've done. Yeah. Jesus died for that. I don't care what it is. Whatever Jesus it died be. for that. That should bring us joy. Absolutely. Well, we so appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and taking the time to write this important book. And as you mentioned, it's really non-readers are going to enjoy it. But also, you don't have to read it yourself. Right. Uh, There's going to be an audio version uh, that's coming out. Uh, I went in and recorded it a few weeks ago. So it's in my voice. I apologize for that. I, I, I always, I tried to get them to get somebody, you know, I, I think Morgan Freeman was busy that day. He so, so uh, I, I'm reading the book so you can get it in audio version. As well. be, it's going to be perfect. So check that out on audible, check out d6family.com and, and uh, it'll be on Amazon as well. Amazon as well. So check out your favorite book uh, distributor entity right. and, and uh, and get a copy of this, and maybe give it a give a copy to someone else, and uh, see what they think of it. Sure. Thank you, Neil, thank for you. being with us today. Thank you. We want to thank you, our listeners, as well. Uh, we encourage you to take this podcast, share it with someone that would benefit. Remember, every little thing we do really does matter, and we truly are better when we work together. We're better together. <laughs>